Welcome to the Anchored in Christ podcast. This is a place where we want to help young people draw closer to God and in doing so develop the confidence to take ownership of their journey, goals and purpose through biblical teachings and conversations. Our facilitator will be Ria Mudao and each episode she will be bringing you lessons on the Bible chapter by chapter from Genesis to Revelation. Our goal is to help you maintain or build your connection with God through His written word and to remind you of His character, His promises and your future together with Him. Thank you so much for pressing play today. Please don't forget to follow and share as this will help us grow our audience. Now let us begin. Greetings to everyone. Peace be unto you. You. And welcome to yet another session of our Anchored in Christ Bible Study. My name is Ndutugo Kwala, and I will be your host uh, for this evening. But before we proceed, I would like to touch on some housekeeping rules. Please can make sure that your mics are switched off and your videos are switched off just to um, enhance your experience this evening. But before we continue, it would be great if we can start off uh, with a prayer, which is what I'd like to ask Ishmael Mudau uh, to give us a prayer before we commence with the session. We all close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you to learn, grow, and change. We ask that you may be with us this evening. Help us to set our hearts on you as we learn more about your scriptures. May your Holy Spirit dwell with us. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Ishmael Madal, uh, for the prayer. And yet again, I'd like to welcome every single person who has taken the time out um, this evening to join us in our Anchor Christ Bible study. Uh, we do have uh, newcomers that are joining us for the first time, so we do give you a very, very warm welcome to our Anchor in Christ Bible study community. Before we commence, um, I would like to uh, greet our facilitator for this evening, uh, Ms. Ria Mudao. Hi, Tetsugo. Hello. Yay. Just checking if we've got some life here <laughs> uh, before we, we, we start off. Now, Ria, um, for the sake of time, um, I know that we're going to be covering quite a bit today uh, because we're 17. Uh, but before we continue, for the benefit of our newcomers, um, can you please give us a snapshot of where we are currently? Cool. So good evening, everyone. Um, it's nice to be here. Um, if you want to be charismatic, then everyone will be answering wherever they are. Uh, but yeah, so, so for the benefit of those that are joining us for the first time, um, we are studying the Book of Numbers. It is the third, the fourth book, actually in the Hebrew Bible or the Torah or the books of Moses, uh, whatever people call it. And, and just a, a view of where we are. I mean, we started in the book of Genesis, uh, beautiful stories of creation. We moved from the book of Genesis where when we get to the 
mid middle because it's genesis 15 god says um to abraham i am going to bless you and that was it that was when abraham did not even have one child and god said i'm going to make nations out of you and there you get a prophecy where god says to him i am going to give you children that are going to be um in bondage for 400 years and after 400 years i'm going to send someone that is going to save them and that's how we go into the book of exodus he goes, they go into the, to Egypt, 70 of them go into to Egypt. And at the end of the book of Exodus, we know what happens, the plagues and everything with God. It's a struggle between the Pharaoh and, and God, God saying, you need to free my people because these are my people. And when we studied the book of Exodus, we actually break down, we actually broke down how um, we don't have to see um, Exodus as, as just something that happened with Israel and the Israelites. It's it's us every day where it's a fight between the physical and the spiritual of saving us from the bondage. And, and they leave Egypt. Uh, we get to the book of Leviticus where they get to Mount Sinai and God gives them rules on, on how they have to live as a chosen nation. He, I would say, he, he ordains them somehow as, as a priest, even though they, they messed up somehow, you know, when we got to Exodus 32, they built a golden calf and God said, it, it cannot work. I only have to choose certain people in the nation that are going to represent me. And that's where he appoints the Levites. And we move from the book of, of Leviticus where he gives them the rules. They have the tabernacle. He tells them how to carry it and how to, how to keep it clean and how to cleanse their, their sins for their sins. And we move to the book of Numbers, which is where we are now. Uh, they have left Mount Sinai. They are going into the wilderness. They are on the journey to the promised land because God said to them, I am going to take you to the promised land. So that is where we are. We are in the book of Numbers, which um, the its name, you know, it does not do justice to it because it's rare that you find people talking about the book of Numbers. But in the Hebrew Bible, it's actually called In the Wilderness. But when it was translated over the years, it ended up with the heading numbers because it starts off with numbering the people of Israel. But what happens in the book of Numbers is the wilderness journey for the Israelite nation. Thank you for that uh, snapshot, Ria. Um, I think you have given us a beautiful context um, before we dive in into our conversation this evening. Now let's get straight into it, Ria. Um, let's let's get into the book of Numbers 13, uh, because that's where we're going to start off today. Now, the first question that came to my mind as I was reading um, the, this chapter, why is Numbers 13 said to be the most important chapter now in this book um, as well, now in comparison to the Hebrew Bible as well? So this is a very, very, very important time for the Israelites and, and the Jews when they talk about um, the times in their lives where they did not do what God asked them to do. They talk about Numbers 13. They talk about um, Christ. And, and, you know, they obviously talk about what, what happens when they go into captivity as well. And it is a big thing because what happens in the book of Numbers is where um, God says to them. So what happens in Numbers, we saw what happened in, in, in Numbers chapter 12, where Miriam and Aaron start talking about their brother and they say, no, man, he, started, he wants to be a leader alone. We can all be leaders in this thing. And, and you know, just a warning there. 
the devil's timing is perfect. It is not a coincidence that at the time when they had to go into the promised land was the time that everyone around Moses was turning against him. The devil knew. He, he is smart like that. He knew that this is the breaking point for Israel. And it was really a breaking point because what happens is God says to Abraham, um, it's time. It's time that you go into the promised land. Those that study the journey between where they are, which is Kadesh, um, or right next to the desert of, of Sin, not Zin. It is, it is, they say it can be 11 days. When Moses talks about it in the book of Deuteronomy, he says this could have been a two-week journey and it could have been a two-week journey. But what happens is God says to, to Moses, send people, one person from each tribe that is going to go into the promised land. And he gives them a task. Let them check out the land. Let them check out the people. Let them check out the walls and how everything is and let them check out the fruits and how everything is in that land. Moses chooses 12 people. Actually, it was 11 because there was a tribe missing. And I want everyone to check which tribe was missing out of the 12 people that out of the 11 people that were sent because there is a tribe that was missing there. He sends them out and he says, go to the promised land. When they get to the promised land, they check everything. The food is there. They come back with grapes. Everything is perfect. But there were giants. There were giants and the people started doubting the power of God. The Bible says that. Uh, they looked at the giants and said, uh, no, we see what God promised us, but the men before us are stronger than us. So the breaking point at that point is, they looked at what was before them and they forgot about the promise that they got from God. So they turned two weeks or 11 days into 40 years because when God punishes them at the end of chapter 14, he says, I will give you, they spent 40 days in the promised land, spying the land. And God says, I will give you a year for each day. So I'll give you 40 years in the wilderness of trying to get to the promised land. So it is the timing of Miriam was perfect. The devil knew that it was time, but the, the fear and, and them not taking up the chance and believing that God is going to do what he had promised was the biggest problem. So it, it is a breaking point because they ended up spending so much time in the wilderness um, rather than going into the promised land. And with that said, Ria, um, looking at the characters in, in Numbers 13, um, we all know, I'm sure the majority of us know about Joshua, um, who ends up taking over from, from Moses as they get to the promised land. But there's this specific character that is with Joseph um, as they are sent as spies uh, to, the, to the promised land. And his name is Caleb. Who is Caleb? Now that is, you know, I honestly feel like Caleb um, is underplayed. Like somehow we don't hear much about him. Caleb was a very courageous man. And, and when we go into scripture, they go into the promised land, they get the fruit, they get everything. So when they come back, Moses says, what did you see? The people start saying to Moses, we saw the land. It looks good. We saw that we came back with the fruits. The Bible says they got grapes. They bought, they got figs. They got pomegranate. They got all these things from Egypt. And, and you know, the word that we must, and it's a lesson for all of us. What If you say something and then you say, but, 
then you have erased everything because the Bible says they were very clear to say we saw everything, but the people that are in the land are way too strong for us. Now, there was one man by the name of Caleb. And, and when you read the book of chapter 14, um, God makes it clear. He says, Caleb is, is one of the people that are going to see the promised land because he has a different spirit. Caleb then says, no, he, the Bible says he told everyone to keep quiet. And bear in mind, Caleb is not saying that keep quiet because what they saw is not true. He knows that they saw giants. The Bible says they were giants. They were giants from the, from, that were descendants of Anak. And we know we, when we started the book of Genesis, um, we, we read about the Anak people and, and all those people that were huge and whatnot. He, so fear was, it, it's not wrong. And maybe what I want to say is fear is not wrong. It, it, it's something that we can, it happens to people. But what you do about that fear is the problem. And this is what happened to them because Caleb then said to the people, no, you cannot say that because God said we are going to, to get the land. So Caleb is the one that fought, he fought. What I like most about Caleb is his, his genealogy. Caleb, um, when we studied the book of Genesis 27, if you remember, there was a weird chapter of Judah where we studied Judah going and getting a wife for his sons. And then the wife started, decided because Judah was not giving her um, a son to, to bear a child for him. She then had a, a child with Judah, but that wife was not an Israelite. Judah's descendants were not Israelites. They were half Israelites and half, and, 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 and a part of them were from Esau and half Canaanites because that woman was a Canaanite. So, Caleb, this is a man that does not even have, um, he, he's not even fully from the Israelite descendant, but he stands up for God. So the lesson there, it's, it's not about where you come from. If you believe and you run with the cost, then it happens. So Caleb is that guy that refuses and he keeps on saying to the people, but God said we will go there. Caleb is, is the man that refused to see the giants as stop as a way to stop the, the power of God to help them get into the, into the promised land. But his genealogy is, is very interesting because that's where Christ comes from. He comes from that genealogy of Judah. So I would say when you're reading the book of Numbers, because we're doing Numbers 13 now, um, and it mentions the tribes from four to 16, it mentions the tribe only chapter six, and chapter verse six and verse eight are the old, two important names there. Um, Caleb from the, from the tribe of Judah and, and Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim. Those are the only two people that said, we saw the giants, but we're not gonna allow them to deter us from the promise of God. Thank you so much, Ria. And speaking of giants, um, I, li I like what you just said. They're talking about uh, descendants. Um, and we read about the, the tribe of Nephilim, which is also known as the descendants of Anak. So my question to you is, what is the significance of this tribe? <laughs> so, so this is uh, when, when we study the book and, and there's a whole study on on the giants and and uh 
the Nephilim, and, and these are the people that we read about. You know, when we get to the story of David and a very big man from, from, from the Philistines, Goliath, Goliath was one of them. He was, he was Nephilim and, and they were of this tribe. So these are the people that um, when you read the book of Genesis chapter six, chapter six, if I'm not mistaken, the story of Noah, when God starts talking to, to Noah and saying, your bloodline is the only bloodline that has not been infiltrated by all these things that I do not want. Um, I am going to keep it and everyone else is going to die. And I know there's questions of if, if the flood was meant to destroy all Amele, all, all, all Nephilim and whatnot, why do we still have them here? And that is a question I don't have an answer for, but those are the people that God was not happy with the way that they were conceived. The Bible talks about um, the, the angels of God meeting with human beings and creating people that were somehow not normal. So it, there's a whole study on Nephilim, but we see them throughout the Bible. You know, when you see David and Goliath, when you see, oh, it is those people that they found when they went to, to the promised land. And just something that I forgot, which is very interesting about the character of Caleb. Caleb, um, the Bible says they walked, right? And, and it explains their journey. They passed um, all the valleys. They get to, to the land that belonged to Abraham. They passed the land that belonged to Abraham and they got to a place where they found this giant. Caleb, when they were being allotted, allocated the land, this is how courageous Caleb is. He says to Moses, I want that land where there are giants. He still chooses that place that everyone was scared of because that is the land that Caleb actually inherited where the giants and everyone was. So it is this people um, that we read about in the book of, of Genesis chapter six, we read about and we're still gonna read about them in the Bible, but they were not created the way God wanted us um, to procreate as human beings. Thank you so much for that, Ria. Um, I think it's it's fitting now that uh, since we have that outline, we jump onto Numbers 14. So if you look at Numbers 14, um, there is there is a part where it speaks about Moses. Um, and Moses has this discussion. And the question for me is, does Moses know at that point that he is not going to see the promised land? as he has this prophecy. <laughs> uh, so that is a very interesting one. So what happens then in chapter 14, chapter 13 ends with um, God saying to the people, God, Moses saying to the people, we need to believe, but the people were already despondent and saying, this is not going to work. We saw the giants, they are bigger than us. We cannot fight against them. We cannot take the land. There is no way we are going to get the land. And when you get to chapter 14, it is the people continue to complain and say to Moses, we should have stayed in Egypt. And this is, this is where God says enough is enough. We should have stayed in Egypt. Why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? We can't do this. And you see a dialogue between um, firstly, firstly Caleb explaining to the people that we can't. God is for us. God is with us. And, and when, when you read, if you can see uh, the screen from your side, it, it was 
God saying, most Caleb, sorry, saying to everyone, but God promised that this is going to happen. We cannot go back to Egypt. And uh, what you find is Moses becoming very angry, very angry. And he goes and ha- he, he, he starts talking to God and he says to God, I don't know what to do with these people anymore. They don't want to go. Uh, they say, you know, they won't be able to fight the people. They won't be able to get the land. And, and you actually see God having a conversation with Moses where, where God says to them, I'm actually done with these people. I think let's just close this thing. And God, in that whole thing where God is talking to Moses, he says to Moses, you know what? Out of everyone, only two people are going to go into the promised land. And that is, that is Joshua that is Caleb. And I hear your question where you say, God was talking to Moses. And did Moses know at that time that he's also included? Because at this point, he had not done anything wrong. When we study chapter 20, 21 next week, Moses is also going to rebel against God because of what people were doing to him. He got angry and all that. And that is when God said, Moses, you are also not going to see the promised land. Aaron is also going to die in the coming few chapters. So I think even if Moses did not know, maybe the God that knows um, the end in the beginning already knew, already knew what was going to happen. And that's what I believe. But God was very specific. He told Moses that Moses, none of those people are going to go into the promised land, only Joshua and Caleb. But Moses himself at this point he had not done anything wrong. Uh, so I'm not sure if he picked it up, but God did, you know, what he said. <laughs> Thank you for that, Ria. Uh, I also noticed something. Um, there, there, seems to be, uh, there seems to be this uh, consistent disobedience from the Israelites, uh, from when they were released from Egypt, when they were in the wilderness, yet again, we find them being very, very disobedient. Yes, and, and I don't want us to dwell a lot on the Israelites um, because we are exactly the same as those people. Um, you know, when we read the story of what they were going through and them saying, you know, if you're looking at the screen right now, it was God saying to Moses, I'm done. And, and Moses was, was pleading for those people and saying, God, what, is, what are the Egyptians going to say? What are the Egyptians going to say if this, all these people die in the wilderness? And, and God, Moses challenges God on your faithfulness. Those people are doing wrong, but you are faithful. You said that they will go into the promised land. And he starts pleading for them, the same Moses. And I guess the lesson here is nowhere, nowhere to take your problems. The problem with them is they used to complain amongst each other and they would get angry. And the 600,000 men or the 2 million people, everyone is speaking at the same time and saying, we want to go back to Egypt. But the difference is that Moses knew where to take his complaint. He knew how to pour out his heart to God. And in chapter 14, you see, you see the dialogue. Beautiful. For those that have time, just study the dialogues between God speaks to Moses and how you know he prays. Or in this, in today's language, you say he prays, but how he speaks to God. And, 
and how he intercedes for the people. He gets angry with them, but when he gets to God, he says, God, but no, what are the people going to say? You are not this God. And, you know, it, it is beautiful how Moses talks to the people. But going back to your question, there is disobedience, but it, it's, it's exactly what we do. If you look at the way we complain, um, if our complaints were being documented like this, I'm sure everyone else that would read this years later would probably say, these people use complain a lot, you know? So it's, it, it is the nature of, of men. And I think this, this is where we draw the line between being a Christian and knowing what to say, knowing how to use your mouth, knowing how to approach the throne of God and being grateful, having a grateful heart and lessen the complaints by the day. It, it, it actually, this, that, this is what this book teaches us. God hates it when people are just complaining and I'm grateful and I'm doing all that. So the easiest disobedience, but the beauty is the Moses that always interceded for the people and, and how God always listened to his leader. And, you know, he would change a few things. We'll see when we get to the end of 14, even when, Moses pleaded, God said, no, enough is enough. But it was, it is, it is human nature. You know, you don't need anything to complain. You just need a mouth and you can talk and complain. But God does not like um, a person that complains. So it's a lesson for, for us as well of, you know, how do we complain and how do, do we take, you know, how we're feeling and everything to the throne of God. Thank you for that. I just received a message from a friend of mine and he just made a comment to say, hey, the Israelites and, and us as the current generation, same WhatsApp group, we do not listen. So I hope that uh, that was a, a, a lesson to everyone that is, has joined the call. Now, Ria, let's fast forward a bit, just a bit. Um, we get to a point where uh, the Israelites clash against the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Now, my question to you is, why do you think the Israelites lost against the Amalekites? So this is the end of chapter 14, right? God is tired. Moses goes and pleads, God, please, what are the Egyptians going to say? This, that. God pronounces that Moses, only two people are going to the promised land, but he's still a good God. He keeps them there and everything is still happening. And the Israelites at the end of chapter 14, a sad thing happens. The Israelites then go to Moses and say, you know what, Moses, after God had said, guys, you're not going, you are not going. And, and by the way, um, I love, love, love 14 verse 24. And, and I think, for every one of us that's here today, let it be a prayer point where God, God declares that he loves Caleb because Caleb is of a different spirit. And, and maybe the other thing is majority does not always rule. Everyone else was saying we can't go, but the one man that believed in the word of God with Joshua said we can go. So majority is not always their way to go. At times you can be the one person uh, who knows the truth and you stand by the truth and, and God, you know, will reward you as the one out of the 50. And that's what happens because God says he has a different spirit and he will see the promised land. But going back to your question, the Israelites say, you know what, Moses, you have told us God does not want us to go. We are fine. We are not going. We are going to choose a new leader. 
We are choosing a new leader and we're going into the promised land without you. Moses pleads with the people. The Bible says he goes and says, guys, no. Firstly, you cannot go without the Ark of the Covenant. You cannot go if God does not say you cannot go. Please, the people fight against Moses and they decide to go. And the Bible says when you get to the end of chapter 14, uh, the, the, the Canaanites and the Amalekites showed them flames because they did not have God. So the, the Israelites, you know, the only way they could win in battle was when God was with them. And they will learn this as time goes, eh? where they will start seeing that without the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant, without Moses or the leader chosen by God, we are going to fail at this thing. And it applies to us as well, you know, where we make choices against the will of God and, and you take decisions and say, you know what, this is what I'm doing. And you go ahead and do it. And, and God looks at you and, you know, you fail. And that's exactly what happened. They left Moses and they went and fought. And the Bible says that they were, they were, um, uh, defeated by the Canaanites and the Amalekites. So I guess um, if you're saying the lesson there for me is there's no victory without God. Um, it can be a perfect plan. It can be a perfect plan that looks like it is going to win if, if God is not for it. Uh, it can, sometimes it works the first few days or the first few months or the first few years because God, you know, is not in a hurry, but it is going to get to a point where it's going to crash because God is not there. And this is what happened to them. Thank you so much uh, for that, uh, Ria. Um, like you said, I think the lesson there is for everyone. Um, we, As we approach this brand new week, um, it's just to remember that Whatever it is that you do, make sure that you partner with God. Um, we all have our, our plans. It's just important that we make sure that God is at the center um, of those plans in order for us to be victorious. Thank you so much for that, uh, Ria. Now, we're going to jump over to uh, uh, chapter 15, all right? And chapter 15 is very interesting because uh, many scholars, um, they argue that chapter 15 is misplaced, right? Now, the Israelites have just lost the war against the uh, Amalekites, and God has confirmed that they're not going to see the promised land. So I guess uh, that they are grieved at this point. My question to you, Ria, is in your view, why would God still intervene and give the Israelites new laws? You know, I God is... Yeah, um, and I, I hear what, what all the scholars are saying because honestly, these people have been, they, they, they went to the promised land and they refused to go. They said, we can't go. In chapter 14, God says they have, God has a conversation with Moses and he says, this is not going to happen. These people are not going. And they decide to go. They choose a leader. They go up and they get killed. They come back, you know, you know, because they, they did what God had said they cannot do. And in chapter 15, oh guys, we, we serve a, I would say we serve a good God when I look at this chapter. And I'm saying to you, it's, it's perspective. When I read that chapter, the moment I, I see the opening line, I, I see a, a faithful God uh, more than it being displaced. Because yes, um, 
they have just been, uh, you know, all this has happened to them. And God says, you know what? When you get to the promised land, for me, that is a God that is faithful. That is a God that is faithful. You have gone through all these things. And, and when you read 15 verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving you, God takes them back to the promise. And he says, we, we've been through a lot. We, we have been through a lot. We've been killed. We've lost our brothers and, and all that. And maybe the one thing that I forgot to mention in chapter 14, all those 10, there were, there were 12 spies that went into the land. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that said we will go. All the 10 of them, God sent a plague and they were killed and they died. So they died, the people that were sent died. Um, and, and now those people are saying, really, you've taken the leaders? But God goes back to the promise and he says, I see what we've all been through. But when you enter the land where you, where you are to live, which I'm giving to you, I see a God of grace. I see a God that sticks by his word, regardless of what is happening. So yes, it looks like it is misplaced when you look at it at face value, because in chapter 15, God comes and gives them laws of sacrifices. And he says, okay, when you get to, let's go back to the beginning. When you get to the land, this is what you're going to do. And he gives them, I would say, new sacrifices, how they are to sacrifice their bodies, how they are to sacrifice. He talks of the bent offering. You remember the bent offering we studied in the book of Leviticus. He talks about when they do the fellowship offering. So he's in a way, you know, indirectly, he's telling them that you are going to have a temple when you get there. And this is how you're going to do fellowship offering. So I, I see a God of grace. I see a God that says, regardless of what happens, I stick by my word. I see a God that says, I will, I will, I will stand by you regardless of, of what is happening. So I, I see a God of empathy as well, because towards them in mid 15, he starts telling, God starts talking to them, giving them laws about how to treat their foreigners that they are moving with, because those people are already moving. And God says, there are foreigners amongst you. And I mean, Caleb, you could have said, there are people that were Canaanites and whatnot. Uh, there are foreigners amongst you. Treat them the same way. Give them one standard. He says to Moses, treat them by one standard. Take care of each other. Because I know what you guys have been through. And, and he gives them this empathy right in the middle of 15, where he's giving them the rules. And, you know, and, and towards the end, he then goes back to Moses. Because um, when you read from 15, verse 22 to 26, God starts talking about the leaders. And he says, for all those leaders, you know, and I, they were chosen. They had to represent the, the people. They went there and they did not represent the people. Now, this is how you have to punish them. And if there are any leaders in the room or, or anyone that is a leader, God expects a little bit more from, from leaders. And he punishes them more than he punishes the followers. Yes, there is a duty. There is a duty on the follower to do what is right. But when you read the book of James 3 verse 1, the Bible says that let not many of you become leaders, knowing that as much 
you will incur a stricter judgment. And this is what God says in the book of Numbers towards the end between 22 and 26, God goes back and says, Moses, we have this issue because of some of the leaders that did not do things right. They went into the land, they came back and told the people that you cannot do it. They frustrated the people, the people got angry. They confused the people. The people decided that they are not gonna go. They chose leaders among themselves and decided to go without me. The people followed and the people died. So this is how we're going to punish the leaders that are going to lead these different nations. And God gives a standard. So I wouldn't say it's misplaced. I see a God that is promising them that I'll be with you. I see an empathetic God that says, you know what? Um, I know that there are people amongst you that are foreigners. Let's treat each other well. And I see a God that comes back and gives a standard and say, and rectify certain things and says, Moses, I, I was not happy. I was not happy with the way certain leaders did certain things. And this is how you are going to punish them and to cleanse them going forward. Because when you read 1525, God starts even giving them atonement. And he says, this is how the priest is going to atone for these leaders when they do wrong. So I don't see it as misplaced. I think it's perspective of what is God really saying in, in, in chapter 15, immediately after they have been banished from the promised land. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, I, I, get, I get your argument. Um, and... Sorry about that. Am I still audible, Ria? I can hear you now. If you can repeat that question. All right. So my my, my question was um, very simply. I get your stance. I get your point of view. What is the significance about this chapter? I think God was rectifying um, things that didn't go right um, because when we get to this point I think and and this is what I said about the book of numbers last week when I said numbers is like it's got a lot of case studies all of these rules and all of these things that God gave to them um, saying this is what you must do when they were all when they were all sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai they had not yet been applied now they start moving now they start seeing how certain things will play out and as they are moving God starts seeing with no actually uh, you know, sometimes when you choose leaders to do certain things, this is what happens and this is what I need to rectify. And you're going to see this a lot in the book of Numbers, where out of nowhere, God just says, oh, actually, we need this rule. So I think it's one of those where, where um, they, the leaders did not do what God expected them to do. And he comes back and he says, this is how we're going to do it going forward when people don't do what they have to do. So I think the it's, it's God fixing um, as they are moving in the wilderness and it's God reassuring them that you're still going to the land. It might not be all of you that will go in. And, and you know, I think, I think this is the other lesson. Um, we come across things in life, but we don't stop moving. We come across a lot of things in life. We come across a lot of challenges in life that make it look like it is done. I am no longer going to the promised land. But the other message that God is saying is, you do not stop moving. I wanted to say keep walking, but it is not the right statement to say here. But you keep walking, you keep <laughs> moving. So it is, just keep walking. And, and this is what God is saying. Like, you can't 
you are right now, you're in Kadesh, but you have to move. And, and I think for me, that is the, found the message of, yes, it's not all good and well, but we move, we go on. Thank you for that, Ria. Uh, on that note, we will keep walking. Uh, thank you uh, so much uh, for giving us uh, that understanding um, and significance of uh, chapter 15. We are pressed for time. I think we've got another 15 minutes uh, to go. So please, can we jump on to uh, chapter 16? So with chapter 16, um, there is a family that is mentioned. And this family is the family of Korah, which is quite a popular name um, amongst many stories uh, that you hear in the book of Numbers. Now, the question for me is, what really does transpire in chapter 16? Cool. So Cora, and there's a point, sorry, that I forgot to mention towards the end of, of chapter 15. Um, from 15 verse 37 to 15 verse 41. And apologies, I didn't share the slides before this. I am definitely going to share the slides after the class. Um, 1537 to 1541, God goes to the people and he says that from today onwards, he gives them a symbol. And he says, and, and those that visit Egypt and whatnot, and, and the Jewish people, they say um, a lot of Jewish people still do that today, where you see something like a tassel, a blue tassel, which they hang on to their, to their coats or those robes that they wear. And, and, you know, when we read the book where David, where David is speaking to King Saul, and he says that I have taken the hem out of your blanket, so out of your, your, your robe. So those were things that God gave to them. This is the rule. This is another rule that he gave. He said to them, you must have a, a symbol, just like when people are married and they wear rings as a symbol. And that symbol is, that, is a sign that you will follow me. And, and there's a big study on hems. Um, I did put a few things on the slide, which you can read, but it's, it's interesting what it means to them. Now, going back to Korah, Korah is famous, right? He is one of those stories that people talk about uh, in the book of Numbers. So Korah um, was a Levite. I think that is the first thing that you need to note. Um, you know, when we talk about Korah, Korah does not rebel alone. There were three. Uh, most people say Korah and Datan or Dathan, but there was also Abiram. It was three men. The Bible says these were very famous people. Um, they were well known, you know, when you have celebrity, celebrities and, and whatnot, and they were well known by the community and, you know, they were the guys and they questioned Moses and they went there. Korah um, was the closest to Moses because if you can look at the, 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 the screen right now, the Levites were divided amongst the Geshonites, the Kohathites, and the Merirites. If, if you remember last week, we talked about this. Um, the Kohathites, those were, I would call them the, the, the people that were responsible for, for the priesthood. Because from, from the Kohathites, you, you get you know, your, your Aaron, you get in all these people, your Korahs of this world. So he was a cousin to Aaron, they were very close. Now Korah goes and says, we're not happy, uh, Moses, with this thing of you leading us 
alone. Uh, I think we can all do this. And, and it's funny, you know, when you read, um, these are people that are meant to be leaders. And I'm saying meant very loudly because Korah, yes, by virtue of birth, he's a Levite. But Dathan and Abiram, if you go back to the children of Jacob, Reuben was the firstborn. Reuben was the one that had to get um, leadership in that family because he was the firstborn of Jacob, but things did not go well and he lost that right. So these are people that have certain rights by virtue of, of the families that they were born in. They go to Moses and they challenge and say, Moses, we're not happy with the way that you're doing things. You don't want this anymore. We can also lead. We're also holy. We can do this exactly the way that you do it. And Moses gets angry. And, you know, I like how Moses, when he gets angry, you know, when, when you don't, when people come as a crowd and you go for the target, Moses starts speaking to Korah out of everyone else. And he says to Korah, is it not enough that you are a priest in the house of God? Is it not enough that God has chosen you? And now you are coming here to fight, to be a leader. So Korah was fighting the more, their biggest fight was the choice that God made by choosing Moses. It was the choice because he was saying, I'm also a Levi. It was the choice that made them angry. And they said, we can also do this thing. And they started rebelling up against Moses. They said, they don't want to do this. Moses speaks to Korah. Korah does not listen. And the Bible says that Moses gets very angry and he says to them, you know what? Let God make a choice. What, what Elijah did, when he said, let's see what God is saying. Let's see whose God is powerful, is what Moses did in this instance. Because the Bible says, he said, okay, let us meet tomorrow morning and let us see who God will choose. The Bible says, he said, tell all those men. They had, they had a crowd now. The Bible says there were now 250 men that were following these people. And, and God said, okay, let them tomorrow morning, everyone must bring their own census. Um, and there's a lot of questions around that, by the way, uh, because this were Rubenites and whatnot. They were not supposed to be having censors. Because if you remember what happened in Leviticus 10, when the sons of Aaron touched the censors and they were burning the incense, the incense, God said they are not allowed to, because that was that was work dedicated to, to the people that were working in the temple. But here they were. 200 of they they came with the 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 incense not censor sorry the incense and they said they're going to burn and Moses says to God God you are going to choose today um, in front of everyone choose your leader and and you know God this is the first time actually that Moses asked God to punish um, them in this way because Moses is the one that's always pleading God please no no don't do this but here he says you know what God Choose and don't do the normal thing. If you are saying I'm a leader, do something that they have never seen. The Bible says this, the earth opened up and it swallowed them. So when, when you get to, to um, I'll show which verse, but yes, chapter 16, you will see that Korah goes out of his tent with the families. God says, you know, God, I love how God gives warnings in this chapter. And he says, you know what? Tell the people to stay away because I'm about to do something. Moses, tell them to stay away. I, I want to show them drama. The earth opened up 
and everyone, the kids, the wives that belonged to Korah, and everyone then died that day. And the people started complaining again, as usual. So that is what makes Korah famous. I think he, he becomes the famous one in this whole story because he was the closest to Moses. He was a Kohathite. He used to work in the temple. He was within, and he's the one that went out and challenged Moses um, as a Levite. So, so maybe before you go to the next question, you, you see the trend. If you look at chapter 11, the people complained. The people complained and they said, we don't want this. And then you go to chapter 12, Miriam, the sister, complains. The sister complains, who is a prophet in the house. And when you go to chapter 16 now, the Levite that works in the temple of God complains. So you see the trend of people that are complaining from all corners of the world. Mm. Yeah, we shall not complain and we shall stay in our lanes. Ria, there is something that I also got to understand, right? So uh, Cora's family was responsible for the writing of certain songs. I've got three questions for you. Um, it's a three in one. <laughs> Please do forgive me. The first one is, were they not all killed in this very specific chapter? Two, why is it, because um, we like drawing parallels, why is it when you read in the book of Psalms, we also hear about Korah's uh, descendants? And then lastly, what is the lesson? What do we learn from Korah's family? So Korah's family, just like Caleb, I think they are one of those for me that, that stand out, right? Because yes, the Bible here, and this, this becomes the problem with picking verses and reading one verse, then you stick to that one verse. Because the Bible here says the whole family of Korah and his wives and kids were destroyed. But when, when Moses does the second census, if you remember when we started, I said Moses did a census in chapter one and he's going to do a census in chapter 26 when they're about to enter the promised land. When you get to 26, um, if, if it's not verse, verse 11, I will check that out. God speaks right at the end, one line, one line, God says, by the way, not everyone from Korah's family was destroyed. So it, it was not all of them that were destroyed. Just one line when Moses is counting the people going into the promised land, there's one line that says, by the way, there were people from Korah's family. And I see, I think the lesson for me there is um, your past or the family that you come from should not determine where you are going. Korah is, is very, he's not well known. Like his story is not good at all when you read about how he rebelled. But his, his children changed the story around because when you read, you know that Psalm, I think it's Psalm 84. Psalm 84, if I'm not mistaken, I'll, I'll put it on the slide where, where Korah's, it's written by Korah's family. They go and they write that we would rather be a gate man. You see that, that psalm that talks about people that would rather be um, puppets and whatnot uh, in the kingdom of God um, than be the holy people that work as priests in the temple. That psalm was written by the children of Korah. And you see a different taste. You see a different complexion because then their father was saying, I can be a leader. But when you read about them, the side, they're saying, it's fine for us to be doormats 
as long as we are saving God. So I think what you learn the most from, from Cora's family is family legacies do not determine everything. Even though their father had a bad history, they changed everything around because they became writers of songs and they were worshiping and they were serving. So Cora's family had something to do. It was not leadership. It was not what Moses was doing, but it was this which is serving through song and worship. And I think the other thing is that God can redeem anything and anyone. If we could redeem the children of Korah that defy Moses and said, this cannot happen. He can redeem because he redeemed that family. Um, he was given a high leadership uh, in his family. He abused it, but his sons used their musical, musical talents and gifts and they gave back to God and God accepted them. So that is the lesson for me that, you know, it's not about where you come from. Um, you can change things and anyone can be redeemed by God. Thank you for uh, so much for the clarity, uh, Ria. Um, we are pressed for time. And as we end off chapter 16, again, God shows his anger. And I, I'm really struggling with this because there is a plague uh, that, that hits the, the Israelites. Now, my question to you is, is that a way that God, God shows his anger? Like all the time, it's, it seems like it's a consistency um, in the Israelites' journey. I think it's a way that, you know, when God uses things like that, that message becomes very clear, right? So towards the end of chapter 16, um, after Korah's family and everyone had died and they were swallowed, the Levites go back to what they know best. They complained. They complained. The Bible says they went to Moses and said, this man died because of you. This family died because of you. They missed it. They missed it because Moses said it in front of them that the reason why I'm doing this, I want God to show who the leader is. But when God showed them who the leader was, they went back to Moses and they said, these people died because of you and Aaron, which was wrong. Those people had died because they had done something wrong against God. And when they rebelled, um, the Bible says God got angry. He got really angry because they started blaming Moses and Aaron for the people that had died. The Bible says that um, God started a plague. He started a plague and people started falling and dying. And Moses, the same Moses that these people are fighting against, it's tough being a leader. It's tough. The Bible says Moses said to Aaron, hurry, hurry and go to the tabernacle and get the incense because God is going to destroy those people. He is angry. The Bible says Aaron ran into the tabernacle. He ran outside and where he stopped, the plague stopped and people stopped dying. He stood before life and death. And that message was supposed to be very clear. So it, it is a plague um, is, is something that I think God uses it to speak to people in the Bible. He has many ways of, speak, of, of talking to the people. Our, our Archbishop said um, in December, uh, when he was talking about accidents and everything that's happening on the roads and people dying, and he said, let us ask God to speak to us in a different way. Can he, you know, can he speak to us in a nicer, softer way rather than a plague where, you know, uh, it, it's bad and people die. So it seems as if it's a language we understand. All right, Rhea, um, I'm, I'm just going to pause you.
be there for one second because someone just posted um, in our chat and he is asking a very pertinent question, but um, I know it's very controversial. I know it's very controversial, but please, can you try to answer it to the best of your ability? Do you think that COVID-19 was a plague from God? You know, God, that I prayed so hard that no one asked me that question because I knew, um, you know, there was a lot of, of conspiracies where the Christians were saying, is this a plague? Is this not? Is The honest fact is, as a, and I won't say as a country, as the world, when we look at the standards um, and, and how, you know, the word of God has, is, is being tramped on. It's no longer, you know, the laws that are being passed. It, it is no longer as important being placed where it's supposed to be. I, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I don't want to say it's a plague, but I wouldn't rule out the fact that God was sending a message. But I don't know. I, I don't know if it was just one of those things. But as a Christian, as a Christian, it's, I'm sending it back to you, back to the sender. We need to pray you know, on such things. God, is there a message that you wanted me to get out of this whole thing? Did we stay at home for nothing? Did things change just for technology, just for us to go into Zoom? Was there a bigger message that you wanted to send to the people? Because I, I, I think God speaks to, and the other thing about God, right? He, he speaks to different people, you know, at different times. And you might find that this message was only for a specific, you know, group of people. Maybe it was for the Christians. Maybe it was for the whoever. But I think as Christians, we need to go out there and let's not just let things pass. Like, ugh, it doesn't matter. Let's just move on with life. Because the danger, the danger of missing God's message is that sometimes he's trying to protect you for something that's from something that's going to happen, or he brings back the same thing. And this is what happened. We see a lot of plagues here. They were not learning. There was a plague. They didn't learn when he killed their leaders. Now they do this. He sends another plague. You know how many people died in this plague? 14,000. The first plague, 10 people died. The leaders only died. And because they continued on the same trend, God sent another plague and now 14,000 died. When it goes on, 600,000 of them are going to die because they are not learning from, from the message that God is sending. So I think it, it's on us as Christians to, to not be discerned, have the spirit of discernment and look at things spiritually, pray to see things spiritually and not just, oh, two people have died. Oh, COVID. Oh, now it's gone. Oh, now it's coming back. We never know if, if we don't go back to try and understand what God is saying. Thank you so much, Rhea. And I would actually honestly love to engage you further uh, on this topic. But because of time constraints, um, let's put a pause on that one right there. Um, we're three minutes after seven. So I'm going to give you two minutes, Rhea, really two minutes to basically give us a summary of chapter 17 before we wrap things up. All right, cool. So chapter 17, it is one of those short chapters that we probably read and thought, what is this about? So chapter 17, I would call it, you know, when God wants to seal the deal, people had died, people had were fighting about leadership and there was a lot of things. And when we get to chapter 17, God says, okay, enough is enough now. I am going to show you who the leader is. I, people have died. Let's do it in a nice way. And he asks Moses, he says to Moses, tell every leader, 
they and you know these questions on which leaders now because all the leaders were killed new leaders were chosen and and so many times you'll see in the book of numbers where leaders die and god says okay choose better people chose the leaders and he said tell each leader to bring a stick um to moses moses must tie those 12 um sticks they must go and rest by the tabernacle overnight and god said the stick that belongs to the person that is chosen by me is, is going to have leaves and whatnot and what it's going to look different the next morning. And what happens is the next morning when they wake up, I think each stick had a sign and those that read 17 will, will or we will go back and read it. It's, each stick had a, a symbol to show that this stick belongs to me. When they woke up in the morning, the stick that belongs to Aaron is the one that had leaves it had i mean this is a dead stick but it had leaves it had fruits it had all those things and god was sealing the deal to say i'm tired of this leadership fight this is the family that has chosen because now the stick of aaron that comes from the levite family is the one that had leaves and flowers but i think the biggest thing that i get is god does not like pride because what he says about that stick, he says, that stick that belongs to Aaron, um, don't give it back to him. Don't give it back to him. Keep it in the, in the tabernacle and let it be a sign. Let it be a sign to this Israelites that I've chosen. He didn't want now Aaron to be walking around with the stick and, and whatnot because now it's, he's the chosen one. No, he said that stick that had all the nice things, it belongs to me. And he did not want Aaron to use it as a crutch to walk around saying, this is my power. He refused that that stick becomes the power that Aaron relies on. And he says, you're not going to rely on the stick. You're going to rely on me because that stick has fruits and leaves because of me. And that is what happens in chapter 17. Thank you. Mm. Beautiful summary. Beautiful summary. Thank you so much for that. Now, we're wrapping up, and next week we're going to be uh, zooming into chapter 18 to 23. In one sentence, what can we look forward to next week? Next week, we're going to see more complaining and more rebelling, but what is said about the, the chapters in the future is now Moses. Moses rebels against God and he gets punished. And, and that's what clo it closes the loop of rebelling because the last person that rebelled here was a Levite in the, in the temple of God. Now Moses is going to rebel. And we're also going to see the death of Aaron. Aaron is going to die in the coming few chapters. And we're going to see now the wrapping up um, as, they prom as they close off, wrap up to, to get ready to go into the promised land. Thank you so much. Um, I'm sure everyone is going to be looking forward to next week's session. But thank you so much, Ria. And there are so many takeaways uh, from this evening's session. I think for me personally, it's a story of Caleb. Um, you said it beautifully that he has one character that is underplayed that was very courageous. And there's so many lessons uh, that come with his character. And I'm sure each and every one of you have your own takeaways. And I hope that if you do go back and read these chapters again, you would have gained a fresher and newer perspective uh, to these chapters. But as we close off, thank you so much to everyone who joined us this evening. And we are busy trying to finalize our podcast channel so that you can go back and feast on the content that we've created on this journey thus far. 
To end things off, please can Ishmael Mudal close us off with a prayer. May we all close our eyes. Dear Lord, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the lessons we have received in today's session. Thank you for enriching our souls with the word. Thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for being faithful, even at times where we be faithless. May you be with us. May you continue to protect us wherever we are. In your mighty name I pray, amen.